All right. Well, thank you so much for your attendance this morning and happy Thanksgiving to you, by the way. Hanny was here this week with us and he leaves tomorrow. So it's been a joy having him in our home and we look forward to enjoying Thanksgiving dinner and turkey again. So uh, we're grateful for him. What is Thanksgiving, by the way? It's mainly an American holiday. Did you know that? Uh, Hanny and I were talking. He said, I think most Americans believe that Thanksgiving is when you gather around the table and you eat turkey. How did all this start, by the way? Just a quick little introduction to Thanksgiving. I don't know. I'm, I'm ringing up here. I'm not sure if I'm too loud or not, so I won't yell. But anyway, how did Thanksgiving start? Well, if you know the story, you know that the pilgrims were over in the old world, which would be what we would refer to as England, and they wanted to flee for because of religious persecution. The Church of England, of course, was persecuting these believers for different reasons, and they wanted to board a ship called the Mayflower, and they decided that they would travel to Virginia. As you know, Virginia was the colony that was established by the King of England, and he wanted to establish his beachhead there because he wanted the New World to produce income so that it would prosper England. Well, as you know, the uh, pilgrims wanted to land there, but one of the men in, in Virginia actually paid the ship driver not to bring the pilgrims to Virginia. Instead, he wanted them to go far north where they would not be a threat to them and they wouldn't mess with their colony. As you know, the story on the Mayflower, they are on the way over and terrible storms hit them and it started breaking the ship in pieces. And God's providence allowed these pilgrims to bring with them a printing press. Part of a printing press, there's a huge screw in it that you crank and it's what actually makes the print happen. And they took this screw and they drilled a hole in the mast and this is what held the ship together from busting and sinking and killing them all. While they were in the midst of these terrible storms, they were confined to go below the deck and the deck was only about five feet or so high and they all had to crouch over. And it was a very uncomfortable place and a lot of people died coming across the seas because of disease and other things. Just so happened the Mayflower was a wine carrying ship and all this wine that had spilled out and seeped all over the ship was actually used to keep all the germs and the infections from spreading to the people. See how God's providence works. And while they were there, by the way, they were singing hymns and one of the men on the ship, who was not a Christian to say the least, threatened them and told them that he couldn't wait until they stopped their singing and they all died so that he could throw their bodies overboard. Now that would be a nice crew member, wouldn't it? Lo and behold, the only person who died on the way over was that man. The ship ends up landing in Massachusetts. All along the eastern seaboard was invaded by Indians who would come there. When settlers would come, they would largely defend themselves and they would kill them and take their loot. The Mayflower happened to land and just so happened, by the way, to land in a place where there were no hostile Indians. Some people believe God guided that ship right on the land where these people got out. They created what's known as the Mayflower Compact. You should read it. And as they got off, they realized that there was, it was up north. It was very cold. They had no provisions, no way to grow food. 
And they were in big trouble, by the way. God, instead of leading an Indian to kill them, led one to them to teach them how to now plant and how to survive in the new world. Some people believe that this Indian named Squanto, I think, was actually led to faith in Jesus Christ by the pilgrims later on. He taught them how to plant corn. He taught them how to make provisions. And this is how they basically survived, listening to this man that God provided for them. As a result of that, in the coming years, they were able to produce a bounty and a harvest that was unlike anything they expected. And they decided that they would stop and give thanks to God for his providence in their life in just the right time, in just the right way, by preserving them and keeping them alive. And that is the origin, basically, of thanksgiving. It passed down through the years, and several of the U.S. presidents uh, began to make it more famous. But it's not a time of turkey and stuffing yourself and watching football, although that's what we do, but it is a time that we stop and we thank God for the blessings and the provisions that he gives us. Our country, folks, has been blessed beyond measure. Blessed beyond measure. We should never become an ungrateful people. Every time we sense in our hearts ungratefulness, we should stop. And we should count our blessings. Yes, name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. And if you've never traveled outside of this country, I urge you, take a trip. Go to Guatemala. Go to Honduras. Not the resort. Go inland. Go to the Middle East. Go to other places. And look around, and when you come back, you'll see just exactly how prosperous and how blessed our country really is. Now, to be American is one thing to be thankful for. But by the way, that's temporary. It could fade. It could fade tomorrow. We don't know what happens. That is uncertain. But to be a Christian, we should be thankful at all times. So what I want to do this morning is share some thoughts about how we can be thankful and how that is really God's will for your life. Three passages this morning is all I'm going to surface, and then we're going to go to our major text, and then I'm going to give you a chance to express thanksgiving. But listen to these commands that God gives His people. Give thanks in all circumstances. That means good and bad. We are to give thanks. Notice what Paul says, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is that we be thankful in all circumstances. And let me say this, that is not natural. It's supernatural. It's something that we have to generate, discipline ourselves, and teach to our own spirit and life to be thankful. We are not naturally thankful. When our children were little... And when they just started growing, and by the way, yours were the same way, just like I was. Gimme, gimme. And when we didn't got, get what we wanted, what did we do? <laughs> and we have to teach our children to be thankful. Christians have to be taught to be thankful. This is God's command for us. It's His will. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 5.20, we are to be giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be giving thanks all the time. The one characteristic of a Christian should be they are thankful and they're consistently and constantly giving thanks. The next time we grumble, may the Spirit of God hit us with a divine arrow and tell us, stop that. Turn the grumbling into praise. Paul also writes in Colossians, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Christians are to be known as a thankful people. Now, as we think about this today, we know that it's God's will for us to give thanks. So, above everything else in our life, God's people must be a thankful people. Now, the question becomes, how do we do that in our life? And this is what I want to share with you this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your Bible, or I put it on the screen. Paul writes this, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the chance, the opportunity to worship you, to enter into your presence with thanksgiving, to sing praises to your name, and to be grateful for what you have done for us. I pray this morning that you will help us to see what you want us to do that is part of your will for our life. And may this generate a heart of thankfulness and gratitude in our life. And may it be like a magnet to those around us who see what you've done in our life. So, Father, the prayer is, may we leave this place a more thankful people because of what you've done for us. May your spirit rest upon us this morning. May we sense your presence in our midst. And may you change our hearts perhaps from ungratefulness to gratefulness and from unthankfulness to a thankful person. Change our heart, change our church, change our community, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we think about this. I want to share with you this morning quickly before I give you a chance to share four ways that you can live out God's will for your life as a thankful person. Four ways. So if you have the, a bulletin, this is something good to write down because I think they're biblical. You ready? Way number one, you must help those who are hurting. Okay? Help those who are hurting. All we have to do is open our eyes and God gives us three categories of people who are hurting this morning. Look at the text, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm in verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. 
In other words, what Paul was saying is motivate the lazy. There are some people who have no direction, no purpose in their life. They're just waiting and wandering around with no idea what to do. It's like they're paralyzed. God tells believers that one of the ways that we are to help people who are hurting is when we see people wandering with no purpose in their life, what are we to do? We are to motivate them to serve. And this is what Paul's saying. Motivate people to serve. Now you may think Brian and I are off kilter when we see people and they say, well, I don't know what to do. And we may list five or six things people can do. And they say, you're just trying to get us busy. No, we're just trying to help you serve because we want you to fulfill God's purpose for your life because we know He has a purpose for you. Motivate those who do not have a purpose. The second, he says, encourage, notice what he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Now, a person who is faint-hearted is someone who's timid or they become discouraged, despondent, worried, sad, or more easily than most people. And they basically need cheering up. They need stimulated in some way to push on. This is the kind of person you may have to put your arm around and say, listen, I will help you do this. I will go with you and show you how to do this. But God wants you to be involved. So we encourage, we admonish those who are spiritually faint. And Paul gives another way. He says that we are to lift up or be patient or lift up the weak. Now notice how the words faint-hearted and weak are different in this translation. However, there's a slight change here. The idea of those who are, are faint-hearted is they're depressed. They're let down. They're discouraged. And so what are we as believers to do? We are to lift that person up, help lift them up. Now, we talk about being thankful. One of the ways you do not lift someone up is when they start sharing a burden with you and say, you know, I'm... I've had this happen and that happen. You don't look at them and say, well, I thank God that didn't happen to me. That is not a good way to do that. You are to rejoice with those who rejoice and you are to weep with those who weep. Instead, what we are to tell them is every person has a season in their life. Now listen carefully to me. Every person. Over 90% of human beings struggle with depression. Please don't think that that's something that is not normal. It is normal. It's part of being human, by the way. And every one of us at certain times in our life struggle with depression. What do we need during that time? The greatest need that we have is someone to come beside us and encourage us, put their arm around us, let us know they are with us and help our faint-heartedness. We need that. We should be that. And we should be thankful for the opportunity to practice that. So the first way is we need to help those who are hurting. Now notice the second way we'll fulfill God's will in our life. Catch this now. You must help those who hurt others. So you have to help those who are hurting... But God also tells us that we are to help those who hurt others. Do you, do you know a Christian like this who hurts other people? We're not to neglect them. Instead, we are to help them. So notice what Paul says 
in chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So he puts this in the category here of the way we treat Christians and the way we treat non-Christians, believers and non-believers. What is to characterize a believer's life? We are to help people who perhaps want to get even. You know, one of the major marks of spiritual maturity in a Christian is their, their ability with, to withhold revenge. We want our pound of flesh. And if you do us wrong, we'll get it. And we'll smile. Now, what Paul says is, we are not to do that. As a matter of fact, we are to set the example... Not to return evil for evil, but we are to do what? We are to return good for evil. We are to bless those who curse. We are to do good to those who despise. You say, well, that's impossible. No, it's more than impossible. It's very impossible. It's not natural to act that way. It's supernatural to act that way. That's why the fruit of the Spirit and the control of the Spirit in our life must take charge. Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? How do you want me to act? You're going to have to give me the strength and the grace and the power to do this. Now this doesn't mean become a doormat. This doesn't mean let people stomp and walk all over you, but it does mean calm yourself when you want to take revenge. And when you see other people who want to hurt people, what is the relationship of a believer to that? We are to try to step in. We are to try to speak God's truth. We are to try to help people become peacemakers. Do not repay evil for evil. This is to believers and everyone. This should be our call, our challenge to other people uh, who we are trying to help. So we are to help those who are hurting. We're to help those who hurt others. And then we are to help ourselves. Now, what do I mean by this? Paul says that we must help ourselves and others by doing three key actions. Notice rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Notice in the text, if you will, because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. Verse 16, we are to rejoice always. No matter how bad life gets or how bad we think life gets, we can always find something to rejoice in. As a believer in Jesus, you have been given a gift that can never be taken away from you. Listen to me. You have been given the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ that no man, no earthly power, no heavenly power can take from you. That is a gracious gift God gave you the moment you put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. He gave you that. You became His child. He sealed you with His Spirit. He marked you to have a redeemed body one day. He forgave you of your sin. God has done immeasurably great things in our life. No one can take that hope from you. And He's coming back again. If you can find nothing else to rejoice in, 
That is enough. Because folks, no matter how bad it gets here, this is as bad as it'll ever get for a believer. As bad as it'll ever get, it only turns up for a believer in Jesus Christ. We are to rejoice always. I read this week where a man wrote, I grumbled because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. All we have to do is open our eyes. I told you this a few weeks ago. If you really want to spur on gratefulness in your heart and life, stop by English Meta. Go in the front of that nursing home and tell them you want to go in and pray with some of their residents. Go to Warm Hearth Village. Walk through that place and pray for those people. The Crungy Center. There are all kinds of nursing homes here. If you're just sitting around bored one day and you don't know what to do, I challenge you, go to pray with someone and watch what happens in your life. You can see it happen in their life and you can see it happen in your life. God will use you. Find something to rejoice in. Notice the second way you can help yourself. And that is by, Paul says, praying without ceasing. Now, this is not walking around in a holy muddle all the time. You know, oh, God, thank you for this day. And you don't, he, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a spirit inside of us that is constantly thinking and thanking God and being grateful for what God has done. Have you ever tried that? Just every little thing that happens, you try to stop and be thankful, be aware of it, realize God's presence in your life all of the ways that God provides for us numerous times a day. You know, we hop in our car and we go to the store. We don't think that some drunk could have run through a red light and killed us. Happens all the time. How many times do we stop and say, thank you, Father, for getting me to the parking lot of this restaurant? You could walk through Walmart and be mugged by someone when you grab the last pack of toilet paper. I mean, crazy things happen. And we pay no attention. We drive down the road and a tree does not fall on the, in the road in front of us. Do you know how many people get killed every year by trees falling on highways? Yes, that is a paranoia of mine. I constantly look for dead trees. <laughs> My wife says I obsess about it. It just, you know, listen, when you're in police work and you work a few accidents like that, it makes you become very conscious of falling trees. But how many times do we stop and say, thank you, Father, for protecting me? By the way, how many Christians actually pray before they get in their car and drive? How many of you, before you even turn the key? This is what a believer taught me one time. He said, even if you don't do it out loud, you better pray God protects you. He said, and you know what? You better pray for your children. And by the way, when you have teenagers, you will pray. But we should be a praying people. You know what? Help yourself by rejoicing always. Help yourself by learning and disciplining ourselves to be in a state of prayer. And by the way, that doesn't mean that if you, if you don't stay at home and you know, in the morning and fold your hands and bow your head, we do see that as praying. But you know, God sees praying as us going throughout our day, thanking Him, talking to Him in our spirit, by the way, being grateful, praying for other people when we see them. I mean, do you ever go in a restaurant or a grocery store and see someone who looks absolutely miserable? 
You know, you can pray for them and they never know it. When you go to school, you can pray for your students. You can pray for your teacher. You can pray for people around you. God wants us to develop this in our life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And then notice what Paul couples to this. Give thanks always. Give thanks in everything. In every circumstance. Good or bad. Help yourself by learning to be thankful. Stop focusing on what you don't have and focus upon what God has given you. Now, I want to answer this question because this goes along with my message. Thankful people know that thankfulness is something we develop. Listen carefully. I'm going to go fast. Thankful people know that it's something that we develop. I have green eyes. That's part of how I was made. I learned to type. This is a skill I developed. Unfortunately, many of us think that we're made thankful. This is not true. I believe that we learn to become thankful and one of the first learns that we have in becoming thankful and regardless of what we have, we can still be thankful. Therefore, thankfulness is much like the wealth building process. Someone else wrote this, by the way. You will not be rich when you have enough money, but you will be rich when you realize everything you already have. If you decide to be thankful when you get X, then probably once you get that item, you will actually just want something more. But when you stop and become thankful for what you actually have, that is when you become rich. A second principle, thankful people gauge blessing by things other than money. Money is one way that we are blessed as individuals. There are, however, many other ways that we're blessed. This Thanksgiving at your table, might, you might have some of the world's finest garnishments. The table may be covered with the finest festive spread. But if that is the extent of what you're thankful for, you're missing out on the greatest blessing available. If you are surrounded this Thanksgiving by friends and family, you are one of the most blessed people in the world. If you know Jesus and have a relationship with Him, joy should overflow in your heart. If you have children who honor and respect you, you have much more than most people have and many things to be thankful for. Thanksgiving or thankful people also admit that they have much more than they deserve. This person wrote, I still don't know why so many Dave Ramsey callers ask, how are you? The answer is predictable, better than I deserve. Part of what is appealing about Ramsey is that he has a massively successful, but does not openly say that he does not deserve everything he has. He says he's better than he deserves. Some call it luck. Others call it blessing. The truth is we all have more than we deserve. For Christians, there is a realization that what we have is basically a gift of God's grace. Everything is a graceful gift from God. A thankful person allows for a close relationship between grace and economics. As such, thankful people comfortably admit that God is always the source of their blessing. I remind you of Deuteronomy 8 where... Moses encourages the children of Israel, do not think that you are the one who gained this wealth by your intelligence or your health because God is the one who gave you all of the ability, mental and physical. He could take it away 
at a snap of a finger. Be thankful. And as God's people, we should be so thankful. So help yourself by rejoicing, by being prayerful, and also by giving thanks. And then there's a fourth way that we can live out God's will for our life, and that is by helping our church body. Now listen to what Paul writes in this passage. He, he writes these words, Do not quench the Spirit. The idea of quench here means to extinguish a flame. When you see God working in someone's life, don't smolder the flame. If you've ever went camping or you try to start a fire, what do you do when you have a spark or an ember? We, we breathe on it. We try to help that little flame ignite. Paul tells believers this is what we are to do in one another's life. We are not to smolder, to quench the Spirit. We can do that by words that we say, actions. Did you know that facial expressions can sometimes quench the Spirit in someone's life? I mean, how many times have you tried to share something with somebody? As J. Vernon McGee would say, have a face as long as a mule. We, we should be conscious, happy people. We should also be willing to help fan the flame in someone's life. During this time in the New Testament church, by the way, there were no New Testament epistles. They were not blessed to have something like this to read and exhort. They just had the Old Testament. So how would God speak to these New Testament believers? Well, there would be prophets like Agabus in the book of Acts who would stand up and have a word from God. And they would stand up and share something. Now, not every prophet was of God. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the Corinthians got a little bit wild and stood up and said, Jesus was accursed. And Paul said, oh my goodness, watch what you're saying. So what were they to do? Paul writes, you are not to uh, smother out or despise prophecies, but you are to test everything, hold fast to what that prophet says that is good. And if he says something that's evil, what are you to do? You are to abstain from it. And Paul often said when he talked about prophets, that the word of the prophet should match the life of the prophet. If they don't add up, you pretty much shouldn't pay any attention to it. But if they add up and they say something good, you know what? At that time, what did Paul say? You should listen to them. We are blessed, by the way, to have 27 New Testament books. Many of those, at least 13, are directed right toward the church to tell us how to live. And one of those I read this morning. This is God's will for our life. Help others. Help those who are hurting. Help those who hurt people. We are to help ourselves, And we are also to help our church body by acknowledging truth, fanning the flame in people's lives, and avoiding evil. And when we do these, when we practice these, Paul writes that we will not only do God's will, but it will help us become a thankful people. Now, one of the things I did not share this morning is when we give thanks, 
Oftentimes, we give thanks for God's material prosperity. That's good. But let me ask you a question. What can you give thanks for this morning that you cannot buy with money? So I want to challenge you this morning. And by the way, 